Hey everyone, this is Josh from Solopreneur Grind for episode 83 of the Solopreneur Grind podcast. I'm happy to have good friend Mitt on for episode 83. Mitt, thanks very much for coming on the show today. Appreciate it. Thanks, Josh, for having me. Uh, super excited. Uh, I know I've been sort of following since you first started, so finally excited to, to be here. Long overdue, mainly my fault, so I do apologize, but Mitt, for those who don't know you or, or anything about you, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself and what you're currently working on? Yeah, sounds good. So uh, right now I have a, a few roles. I'm a partner in an accounting practice uh, where we help a number of startups, but with our niche focus with real estate investors. So we help them from uh, ideally structuring their real estate investments in the most ideal scenario for their uh, position, but also discuss with them from the perspective of a real estate investor, things they need to look out for from both the legal and, and financing front. Um, which leads me to the other role I'm involved in uh, with a couple of other partners and foundation capital. Uh, we work with a couple of investors and we invest in multifamily buildings in Southwest Ontario. And in addition to that, um, I'm also the CFO for a startup uh, focused on analytics for commercial fleet uh, insurance. Awesome. And I want to dig a little bit more deeper into each one and, and especially interested in, in the finance, in the real estate stuff. But let's talk first about how you how you got there. So I still remember, Mitt, when we met uh, about three years ago, almost like almost three years ago to the day, kind of, because I remember we met soon after I, I moved to Toronto. But how does your entrepreneurial journey begin? I, obviously, you, you went to school for accounting, finance type stuff. What, what did the beginning of your career look like? Yeah, thanks, Josh. Um, so I'm a CPACA. Um, I went to, uh, to Brock University for the accounting program. Um, actually, even prior to all of that, I actually did an accounting co-op back in high school. Um, it wasn't as if I knew I wanted to be an accountant. It was just something that I, in high school I was decent at. It came to me pretty naturally, and I said, hey, you know what? Um, numbers are important for every single business, regardless of what it is. Uh, I was always very interested in business, so I said, you know what? Let's, let's pursue this. And uh, Brock University at the time was one of the ones that another colleague of mine had gone to, um, actually, my part, business partner, Pierce Santa, had gone there, and I had asked him, hey, what do you think of the school? And it worked out well that it, hey, it met all my needs from an accounting perspective, but also from a financial perspective. Um, but actually, prior to that, my entrepreneurial or uh, other endeavors started even when I was uh, younger. It uh, was a result of coming from sort of a blue-collar background and myself wanting to have some toys and other pleasures. So. Um, my dad actually worked at Nestle Canada and would bring chocolate home. And actually, it was one of the other kids who's like, hey, can I have some chocolate? I'll give you 50 cents. <laughs> um, and lo and behold, that sort of started and spurred the idea of, hey, I can sell this and I can afford, you know, anything from like Yu-Gi-Oh cards to, hey, I want to go somewhere. Let me uh, have some money. This is what I can do. Um, that transitioned over into high school where, you know, I always had the interest for it, but you know, how many chocolates can you really sell in high school? There's got vending machines. I ended up getting a job at, at Canada's Wonderland. And I, I'd say uh, that job was very formative for me. Um, I was a very, I would say, relatively shy person. I wouldn't really be open to approaching people. I worked at Frontgate Photography. So I was one of those annoying people who would say, hey, welcome to Canada's Wonderland. Please squeeze together and smile for a quick photo. Um, so that really helped me learn to approach a lot of strangers and really push forward in regards to your business. Um, and then selling when we'd have to go sell them the photos. Um, I had always these little ideas for, for businesses or little hustles throughout high school, but unfortunately, none of them really took off. So lo and behold, I'm, I'm going to university uh, and I'm, I'm going to need a new laptop and stuff like that. And lo and behold, I come and find Alibaba. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time this is before alibaba goes public before everybody here who's probably listening knows of it this is when it was really a, a shady website and at the time i thought hey you know what i could uh buy a laptop here and you know what turns out it was like an alienware uh, for 500 bucks and at the time guys if you don't know alienware laptop was about two grand and i thought you know what i'm gonna fund my university this way mm -hmm. so i went to a western union 
obviously getting some money. I had some money saved from my in my summer jobs and stuff, and I went to a buddy and I bought one laptop because you know I said if one comes in, I can I can basically four times my money and I can rinse and repeat this thing. Uh, so I go to the Western Union, I wire the money, and you know I get a tracking number, and I'm super excited. It's gonna come in. I, I actually go to Brock now to start my university uh, studies. And it still hasn't come and I'm tracking. I'm like, oh, please, God, everyone's telling me I'm going to get like a brick in the mail or something. <laughs> and uh, funny enough, I get a I think one of the first versions of the Android tablets. Mm-hmm. So it isn't my alien laptop. I'm disheartened. I got to pay my buddy back. Um, so I end up uh, I was already in the summer too, just doing like online surveys and things like that to make money just to cover my needs. And you know what? I was able to pay my friend back and I said, you know what? This is this is, uh, you know, I'm not in a position yet to be able to start a business like this. Um, I'm going to go and focus on my university studies. And so I ended up uh, just, you know, first year doing uh, school and then I got a co-op job at, at PricewaterhouseCoopers. So um, I didn't know anyone. It was just a purely interview. I, I got the position and I started working. Um, what, what I really found interesting for me as I was going through the CPA process and working at PwC is, I got to work with a lot of very smart people, people and business or owners of businesses. I got to see, meet like CFOs of publicly traded companies, things that, you know, when you're 22, 23, you're normally never going to see. And um, that really gave me an exposure to understand why some of them were making their decisions. I had a wide variety of experience from small tech startups to large public companies. So seeing the systems and controls at large companies of what worked and then some of the things that slowed them down and why some of these other startups were succeeding. So I was able to gain a lot of knowledge. And, you know, as I kept kept meeting these different people during my co-op terms and when I came back full time, I realized, you know what, I, I really need to pursue my own business. I've always been looking at like an e-commerce business, drop shipping, all those kind of things and uh, I dabbled uh, with things here and there. Um, and ultimately it came down to uh, and this, nothing really hit off yet just because I wasn't a domain expert in, you know, I had a tea, uh, a tea business. I was going to go become a tea sommelier. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to the tea festival. I studied all these things and it, it was great. I, I, I guess the hustle from selling the chocolate and things like that, starting from a young age, sort of transition, translated into this, but it really didn't work well from the aspect of being a, a CPA who sits behind a desk and maybe does like some financial reporting or something, right? And so I said, you know what? Uh, I, I had gone to another smaller firm working with owner managers, but still wasn't really working it directly in the business. Uh, switched over to asset management once I had my CA. And actually it was that during that time that I had another practitioner say, hey, mate, maybe you should pursue your business. You know what? You seem to have the, the ideas and thought process of the business owner in mind, not just purely from the accounting point of view. Um, so funny enough, the day I, I quit the small accounting firm and go, went off to in, industry, I incorporated the accounting practice. So funny enough, Josh, we met basically a year or so after I started the practice and the start of the practice was focused mainly on um, tech startups, just because that was an area that I felt was being undisturbed at the time. It, and frankly, it still continues to be un, undeserved. Mm-hmm. to have people who have a lot of expertise or areas in what successful businesses have in place and business owners who are maybe very good at what they're involved in, but not from a, a back-end standpoint. So, right. you know, started the practice, focusing that, but prior to that, I was also just investing in real estate passively. And I had a number of colleagues who were other real estate investors saying, hey, Mitt, like, you know, you worked in asset management and you understand the structures you know, maybe you could help us because, you know, some of the accountants that we're working with don't really have an understanding. And so, you know, me and my business partner were able to grow the practice significantly over the past number of years. And um, and now we're sort of here. Awesome. Yeah, I, I want to break down uh, the, the part closer to when you actually decided to start the business. Can you, I guess, two-part question. Number one is, can you put into perspective how long you were working at those other companies for and then just so we get an understanding of kind of how long you worked for other people for and then mm-hmm. what was it that went into the decision of actually starting that business i mean was it a was it a was it a quick decision with your partner was it you know in the rumblings for a few months i'd love to hear more about that 
Yeah, so I, I guess you could say I've been I had done accounting since high school, um, but I did the co-ops and my CPA process and worked for other firms for about four, four, four to a bit years, and then I worked mm -hmm. in asset management for about two years before um, I went full time into the business. Right. Um, so you you definitely did, did your time and and spent a good amount of years kind of refining your practice and and getting getting good. Yeah, yeah, and I, I always said this, right? Like one of the biggest challenges or thoughts that people have is, hey, you know what? I'm not a super expert in my field. You know, there's people with 20 years plus experience. Well, for anyone listening, frankly, you don't need 20 plus years experience for any field to be a subject matter expert. Mm -hmm. um, understand there's, especially in areas like accounting or law and stuff like that, there's definitely people with specialty niche expertise and maybe domain expertise in certain tactics down to a niche level. But again, most people, whether it's a large organization like PwC or EY, they're still going to go to the technical expert to help them there. So for the most part, 90% of what you already know and have as knowledge is useful to the general public and can actually help them move their business forward. And that's why as professionals, we're supposed to also maintain professional development ongoing so we can continue to be good advisors to our clients. So mm -hmm. honestly, I would say I had thought I had I was told by the, the actually this other accounting practitioner for about six months fresh or five months before I actually pulled the trigger. But it was one of those things where I said, you know what, like, uh, especially with some of the longer hours that were involved in other when I worked at other accounting firms, I said, this is not really going to be feasible for me from a lifestyle perspective or what I sort of wanted as, as, go as goals for my myself as a as an individual. Um, and so. I would say the decision for me was pretty quick. I um, said, you know what, I, well, no, I guess I was still working full time while I still did the practice. So I would work basically eight to 5 p.m. And then from five to 12, I would go to different networking events and things like that. And Josh, that's kind of uh, how, how we met there. Um, uh, trying to recall the other Yeah, so, so, so closer to when you pulled the trigger, what, what was that? I'm interested in the internal and external conversations that were going on. What were you and your partner talking about and what was kind of going on in your own head? My partner ended up joining uh, a bit shortly after. Okay. Um, so for me, I was in it for about a year before he came and joined me. Um, even though we had discussed about it sooner, uh, we were just in different places at, at that time. Um, in regards to headspace and what people were telling me when I, I said, hey, to my accounting buddies, I'm gonna go pursue it in practice, they said, you're crazy, like you're not going to get clients, it's going to be super difficult. Uh, from a family perspective, I had my mother saying, you know, why are you leaving your job? You make good money that, you know, why would you ever do this? Uh, like, why, why are you throwing away your life? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so what, what would you say to people who might be hearing those exact things right now, right? They're in their nine to five, they're thinking about pulling the trigger. And they're the hearing trigger. those things. You pull the trigger, you're going to always go back to your job. Um, that's what I always said to myself, you know what, worst case scenario, I burn a few years, what I could, could have been a partner at another accounting firm or like a controller somewhere else. Great, I got to put a two, two extra years in once I fail at my business. Okay, great, I'll do that. Um, but frankly speaking now, there's no way I'd, I'd really go back to, mm -hmm. to that kind of position. There's, you slowly learn as a business owner, there's a, a, a drive that you need to have that's slightly different than someone who wants everything laid on a platter. It obviously wasn't easy. I'm sure as your guests all speak about, there's definitely challenges. There's always times where you question yourself. I remember even the day I quit, I was like, oh shit, man, do you really know what you're doing? Are you crazy? Like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But honestly, with the energy you put out there into the world of just trying to help others and continue to do business and do business right, um, it, it does work out unfortunately it has worked out for us awesome and i, I do want to talk about those struggles because they're super important but i think something really important to highlight is that if you want to start something on your own if you want to build something great if you want to start something great it's not just going to fall in your lap right especially something like a new business if, if you don't take that risk that sacrifice put in that hard work i mean there's just there's just no way it would it would happen any other way so Mick can you talk about the first six to twelve I mean I love to talk about the first six to twelve months because usually they're not that fun uh, there can be really great times and, and positive outcomes and stuff but there's usually also some really tough times that I think are fun to talk about after the fact so I'd love to hear about your first you know what were the first six to twelve months like 
you mentioned networking events. What other things were you doing? When did business start coming in, if at all? Would love to hear about that. For sure. So I would say I was told, like by the other accounting practitioner who has a successful practice, mate, you'll need to find your niche, figure it out. And I said, you know what? I don't really know my niche. I can do everything kind of general right now. Um, so the part while I'm smiling, I'm laughing at your your challenge over the six to twelve months is definitely huge, right? Because when you transition from an employee mindset to that of a business owner, and especially when you don't have all those guidance or whether, you know, for myself, I wasn't necessarily in a sales role as when I was in the accounting practice per se. My job was just to get the work done and, you know, what someone else handled the sales. So six to 12 months, I would say the biggest challenge is obviously learning your style of how you're going to approach clients, knowing what works and what doesn't work. And knowing that sometimes, you know, when people say, hey, yeah, I'll definitely come bring my business to you. You don't go and celebrate before they, you know, they sign the engagement letter and, and mm -hmm. make their payments. And even if they sign the engagement letter, make sure you collect the money too, right? Um, <laughs> uh, the, the biggest challenge I would say is, uh, I mean, not just for myself, but like for me, I was tactical in the sense that I went and while I had my job still, I went and I obtained a line of credit for my business. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's here who's in a professional uh service you can typically whether you're like an accountant lawyer or other uh, medical sort of professional they'll typically give you a line of credit at a really good rate uh, since you're a professional and technically you're safer um, so it really does give you some runway so um, i think the first six months or so i probably burned through like 10 plus grand uh, from the different events and things i went to uh, you know, I did everything from I made my own signs and I, I hammered them into uh, in front of my parents' lawn and <laughs> other places, the signs being stolen, me freaking out because, you know, uh, a couple $300 signs getting stolen without any leads is, is very frustrating. Um, I did my I did my own website at the time. So a lot of things during the first six to 12 months. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to have to accept that you're going to have to do things that you never really expected yourself to do. Um, I sort of did an analysis obviously i'm a numbers guy so i calculated what i sort of needed to survive and i said you know what like if i have to sort of maybe take a, a part-time position or some contracts that might not be core or essential to the business right now but can help us get bootstrapped and going uh we can pursue those but um obviously there's there's always a balance right where you don't want to take away from your core business in order to pursue money today uh, versus, you know, building things that will continue to help the pipeline longer term. So one thing I always ensured was that, you know what, make sure let's do the qual uh, client quality work there. Some of the first few clients that we did, it, like we didn't really get much from, uh, from them, uh, like fees wise, but it was great because, you know, we got to go through the whole process and now we had people who were sending referrals all the time. Um, and that's sort of how our business has grown predominantly. Um, I, at the time, I didn't really do webinars because webinars really weren't that huge, but I did go and do in-person events. I, I know I did one with Workhouse at the time and another with another startup organization where I went and I spoke. Um, and honestly, it was just trying different things. And, and that's one of the things people um, sometimes maybe struggle with is that, you know what, the first couple of events you go to or the first couple of things you try, it fails, it doesn't work. Just keep pushing that just tells you that you know what that didn't work okay so now figure out what is working and and why people are continuing to pursue it um, mm -hmm. that iteration has literally got us to where we are today now where we have a system and process in place for hey this is how we pursue and seek out clients this is how we sort of filter them and i mean we were even talking about it recently josh had to sort of like filter it even down even more so uh you can you know refine your business and so that's something you're gonna have to keep continuously doing um yeah, I would say like internally, you've got to keep talking, like you have to be somewhat of a narcissist for your business, right? Like if you're going out into business for your own, you believe in yourself, like you believe mm -hmm. that you can do it. It's, um, and some days, yeah, there's definitely gonna be times where you're gonna say, you know what, I, fuck it, I should just go and get a job. But remember, remind yourself, I guess, write down why and what vision you had for your business, why you started it and why you're pursuing it. Um, I think reminding yourself and having that sort of as your, uh, reminder or your, uh, I'm trying to find the right word to you utilize, but, um, like a motivator almost as a motivator or like your mantra or like your, your stone that you can kind of go back to and say, you know what, this is why I started. This is what I, why I need to keep pursuing it. And right. you know what, this is, this has been somewhat of the case as I work with other entrepreneurs and with all the other businesses that we have as well. For sure. And Mitch, how much of an advantage do you think being a numbers guy is? Because I, I think, 
you know, finances, accounting, bookkeeping, all that stuff's pretty important. You learn pretty quick, either the easy way or the hard way, uh, how important it is. How much of an advantage was it starting your own business as an accountant? And then obviously the majority of our listeners, you know, viewers, uh, members of the community are, are not accountants. So what do you recommend that people should do to kind of prepare themselves? Is it as simple as, hey, you know, just hire an accountant? Or are there some basics that, you know, what, what should people know in terms of the basics that can give them a leg up? Josh, yeah. So being a numbers guy is both a blessing and a curse. It means you can get into paralysis analysis quite a bit where you're like, oh, the numbers don't make sense. And especially for those in accounting and finance, some of these, some people make like north of 200, right? So when you're starting your business, sometimes you're not really going to be there when you start immediately or you're not going to be there maybe for a number of years or if ever. So you've got to sort of understand that, you know what, like there's a limited number of upside with the job or whatever you're currently doing versus your own business where you technically have unlimited upside. So um, there's definitely that consideration for those accountants and whatnot. Um, for the listeners who aren't numbers people, well, guess what? I'm not a, a writing guy. I don't write, I, I'm terrible at writing. My, my writing skills aren't the best. I'm much more comfortable speaking or, you know, running numbers for people. Unfortunately, written communication is a necessity in this world. Same thing with running your numbers. Uh, regardless of how amazing your product or business idea or plan is, if you can't understand the numbers or speak to the numbers, yes, you can have your accountant. Yes, you can have your CFO. But as the CEO or owner of your business, you should understand to some extent how the numbers work and how they impact you. So some of the easiest things for you to understand is just you know watch videos on what is a balance sheet, what is an income statement, um, I know a lot of people end up listening to a lot of American content or get a lot of hearsay from other people who aren't accountants. So my recommendation always is to talk to someone uh, and get references from them. Say, hey, you know what? Like, what kind of clients have you helped? Are you mm -hmm. really the best accountant for me? Um, we've met a number of accounting firms where, you know, they work with all sorts of clients and all sorts of individuals. And you know what? We, we get people all the time saying, hey, man, I've got an e-commerce business. Can you help us? And you know what? We did e-commerce businesses before from our, own, from our own standpoint, but we also help other clients who, you know, had to set up their uh, 3PL system to ship things out, coordinating things from their manufacturer in China, dealing through customs and all of that. Sure, we have that knowledge, but the problem is it isn't necessarily scalable for our business. Um, and there's some people who might have experience doing one client, which isn't always the best. So uh, I would say, you know what? Most people try to sort of skip out or save a little bit on, on it, but find yourself a good accountant who has a lot of clients with them being niched in that business or that area so that they can provide you advice, not just from an accounting and finance standpoint, but from a, hey, FYI, this I have another client who's in the same space, you know, and this is what they're doing to grow their business. Are you implementing the same thing? Mm -hmm. And that's the one thing you have to remember is accountants, uh, if they're good, I guess they will have a lot of understanding of what the business owners are doing with their business and what's worked for them and what what hasn't. And then they can relay that information to you to help you succeed. If you're dealing with an accountant that's very transactional, that isn't giving you any sort of advice, just putting together your financials and filing it away for you, any anyone really can do that for you. You're really utilizing them for, for their advice and guidance. So uh, for the startups here within the Canadian community, um, I would say, you know what, you want to find someone who has worked with startups, has, you know, understands how um, the future entrepreneur loans work, how loans of the BDC work, you know, how, how they ha have they helped other organizations get financing in place um, and what sort of financings have they done. And mm -hmm. this will be really useful just because you don't want to have someone saying, yeah, I've, I've done a business before, but it was someone where the owner bootstrapped it versus someone else who had to go and raise the capital from external angel investors or had to do debt financing. So making sure someone who has that knowledge and asking these questions. So um, come up with a list of questions and then interview each accountant and see if, if they fit your needs. For sure. And, and the way I think about that, like working with a great accountant, a corporate lawyer, or whatever it is you might need is, Number one, they could very well, very well save you a lot more money than than what you're paying them. If if they're doing a really good job, you know, maybe a tax cut that you didn't know existed, or you know, whatever it may be. And then secondly, it frees up your time so you can focus on the things that can make your company even more money, right? So focusing less on oh, this is an expense. It is an expense, uh, 
but it really is freeing up your time if that can you know gain you x amount of hours to make more revenue it's uh, it could more more than offset that yeah and- I, can't, I can't agree with you more there i think that's something that even for us like i've struggled in the beginning where i told you i made my own website i i did a lot of things myself and i'm sure there's a lot of people who are listening who are, who are doing the exact same thing but as josh said like once we decide you know what we'll let the professionals take care of like we used to help clients with incorporation. Like we're not lawyers, mm-hmm. but we know how you should put it together. But it was a service that took way too much time, wasn't our core business, didn't make sense. So really we we valued and said, you know what, we've got a great partner, Alex Coach for Insight Legal that we work with. You know what, any sort of client that needs that work, we'll send immediately to her connector. It allows us to be efficient, allows the underlying business to be successful as well. Um, and you're right. I think the biggest thing most accountants can probably help is either from identifying areas of cost savings that you as a business owner haven't thought of or obtaining financing. Um, but also just running the numbers to understand, hey, like if you're selling a service business or even a product-based business, which line of business makes you the most money, right? And you might be thinking, well, I can see from a totals dollar value standpoint that this makes me the most money. Great. But you're not doing a real comparative analysis of how much time goes into providing that service. Mm-hmm. So you need to really see what that return on time is as you are providing services in your business and then choosing the one to, to maximize uh, the success of your business. Absolutely. So Mitt, as per usual with a lot of um, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, you, you found yourself uh, dipping your toes into multiple different businesses, industries, projects, whatever you want to call them. Can you talk a little bit about that and, and how how they kind of came to be and what do you recommend to other solopreneurs, right? Is, 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 is it a kind of, do you recommend that approach? Should people focus on one business until they hit a certain level of success or what's your mindset there? And, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how those different companies that you're now involved with came to be. Yeah, for sure. So while having the accounting practice, I got involved with uh, the startup uh, that I'm with now. Uh, prior to doing insurance analytics, we were focused on self-driving cars. Uh, we use that same technology towards the insurance analytics. So that one that I got involved with was just purely a client that we had and they needed additional services, which wasn't really taking up much of my time at that time period. And, you know, they said, you know, we need an alternative payment uh, arrangement for additional services beyond X amount. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I'd be interested in being involved. And it was giving me an opportunity for personal development. Um, when I looked at my time that was being required in the accounting practice versus what was going to be required to do this role, at that time, I said I had the capacity. And it just really helped because I got to go more in depth into understanding uh, the whole investor uh, capital raising portion, putting together financial projections purely for uh, startup capital fundraising and things of that nature, which then came back over into the accounting practice side to help. Um, however, we've now sort of transitioned away from uh, focusing on predominantly the startups. Actually, the real estate investor side of our business uh, grew significantly. And what we were able to do is say, hey, you know what, we've, me and my partner, we invest in real estate as well. And it made sense that, you know, other investors are asking questions about it. And if you were just, if they said, hey, I'm going to be buying this, we don't actually just talk to them from, hey, this is your best accounting structure standpoint. We say, hey, is this even a good purchase for your goal? So how I start a lot of our conversations is understanding the goals and needs of our clients and then advising them accordingly. So that allowed uh, a lot of clients to actually say, hey, you know what, Mitt, we'd love to be working with you in, in that real estate capacity. You, you have the knowledge, you have you obviously know the structuring and things like that. And we're too busy in our, in our, in our day jobs to be really as active as we need to to get the kind of returns that we want. And so from that portion, I had uh, two other business partners in London as well that we had invested in real estate together with, and we all came together and started their business. So it was just an ancillary business that was very directly related to what we're focused on. So anything in that business that is sort of out of scope, actually we end up referring, whether it's like a real estate deal that doesn't make sense or we need, or someone else needs some services, we're able to refer from our real estate side of the business. Uh, to our accounting clients and, and vice versa. So because mm-hmm. it was directly related, related that way, it made sense. And as part of that process, I also became a mortgage agent during that time as well, just because, again, my role was very much running the numbers, dealing with lenders, painting financing, and as a result, um, needing access to software and things of that nature. We said, you know what, clients were asking the exact same thing. Let's do the uh, 
mortgage financing, along with the accounting and ancillary services, um, and investing in real estate for, for the long term as well. Got it. And so how did you get into real estate? Because I, I think that's probably either a venture or form of investment that a lot of people, especially entrepreneurs, are really intrigued by. And obviously, you've gotten into it at a much deeper level. You've also got into it pretty early on in your career, pretty early on in your life, right, relative to most real estate investors. So how did that start? And how has it evolved since? Yeah, sounds good. So how did I get started in real estate investing is very interesting. So like most people who went away for university, I lived in student housing. Um, I had rented from this guy who had actually fully renovated his place. Me and my buddies at the time like lived in a place together. And I said, you know what? The numbers must make sense or something. Like this guy wouldn't be renting to us if he wasn't making money. And so uh, I would say, you know, we were kind of curious, but as most university students, we were too busy. Uh, focusing on school and having too many drinks that we weren't really focusing uh, on school. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and not really getting or looking in deeper into it. Right. Um, I would say it was in the, uh, as we went, worked our co-ops at PwC and things like that, it was pretty long hours. And I said, you know what, I need to be able to, at some point in my life, step away from it, be financially independent uh, for, for the sake of like my family and, and et cetera, and for my own health well-being. So, Funny enough, as I came back from the co-op terms where I worked, you know, anywhere from like eight in the morning to like two in the morning kind of deal consistently, uh, I started saying, you know what, I got to do something that makes me money while I'm not working either. So started, uh, and you know, I'd always been interested in finance and, and the stock market. So, and I audited publicly traded companies. So it made sense to use two and two and start doing some research. So across that board, I, I understood the different sort of strategies that one could pursue. And I said, you know what? I like dividends. I want some cash flow coming in because that's what's really going to allow me to um, go solarpreneur mode. I my original goal was to be a solarpreneur at 40 with the consulting business. Okay, to anyone listening, that was my original <laughs> idea. I put in the spreadsheet if anybody ever want, as ever saying I didn't think that was the case, okay. So um, I started investing in dividends, and then as you look up and, and find stuff, you see that hey, you know what? It's the real estate investment trusts that pay, you know, the other dividends and they, they pay it maybe a little bit higher and it's tied to real estate. So I started looking into that a little bit more and understand and reading their financial statements and understanding the business and all of that. Um, but until then, like we hadn't really run numbers on any real estate projects. I would say in, in fourth year of my university before uh, graduate, like uh, the semester before graduating, uh, I remember me and my buddy were sitting in the library and we started, let's like, let's run some numbers because you know what, we live in our houses. Let's talk, let's share what house you live in, my house numbers, and let's calculate out what this could potentially be uh, from an investment return. Um, and at the time we said, you know what, like we want to maximize cash flow. So we found uh, True North Mortgages out of Alberta at the time who would do uh, interest only uh, 80% loan to value mortgages. And we're like, whoa, you can buy this. Uh, student rental property and it'll make me a thousand bucks in cash flow. I get two, three of these. Like, why do I even bother working? Right. So, mm-hmm. um, and just like that, we said, okay, great, but you need 60 grand. And we're like, well, fuck, we're back to square one. Right. So it happened then. But then I came back and started working full time, pursuing my CPA designation. Uh, and so I just started just continue to buy my dividend paying stock and some of them. Uh, was actually, I owned Dream Office REIT. Uh, uh, for those listening who know my past, I actually also end up working at Dream later, hmm. uh, but in the Renewal Powers Group. Um, but that's how I sort of first got my exposure to sort of a commercial level uh, real estate and really understand different markets. Um, but outside of that, I, I really, to be honest, didn't really do much. And then what ended up happening was like, I said, I'm going to just keep saving my money. I'm, I'm going to live, I'm going to save more than I spend. Uh, and I'm going to keep buying these dividend paying things until I can, you know, step away, uh, et cetera. When I worked after PwC, I worked at a small accounting practice. I ended up going to London, Ontario on an audit. Um, that's where, if any of you guys know, I, I met Matt McKeever. Matt McKeever is a YouTuber with over 60,000 subscribers, teaching those to uh, invest in real estate and things like that. So. I had met Matt. Matt at the time was a controller of a publicly traded company. 
Um, he did not tell me he invested in real estate, um, but we worked together for a number of weeks where I kept saying, you know what, like I'm doing this dividend thing. And it turns out he had some dividends and stuff too. We talked about financial independence and I had asked about, oh, do you, do, I know people invest in real estate in like places, but like, you know, what's the market like here in London? And he's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, it could be good, I guess. I don't know. And I would say literally at the last day of the sixth week, he says, you know what, man, like, you know, by the way, I do have a real estate portfolio. Here's the numbers on one I just purchased. Now, by the way, like here's my recommendation as someone who's, you know, working full time and trying to pursue, you know, to be financially independent, whether it's through through whatever form that you don't necessarily communicate to your bosses because then they're not going to give you the promotions that you need. I said, oh, man, no way. I can't believe this guy just gave me his analysis spreadsheet. Um, I really appreciate it. I, I'm totally going to have to come see this guy at some point in London, Ontario again. But I said goodbye and said, you know what, I'm probably actually never going to see him again. But I got his email. I ended up going back to Toronto a couple of months later. Their company actually got acquired and he had left the position and they needed someone to fill in. So I went back to London and I said, hey, man, like, let's meet up. But like, how, how the heck did you like quit? And he's like, oh, by the way, like, I had enough passive income coming in that it covered my lifestyle means I actually don't need to uh, need, I didn't need the job and just some other corporate things. I want to go pursue my own stuff. And I said, okay, cool. What are you doing right now? And he's like, oh, you know, I'm doing the real estate investing full time. So I said, okay, cool. Like, let's meet up for a drink and, and see where it goes. And, you know, we had met and talked about some real estate investing. And then I, I'd come back, I just started coming back to London every other weekend or every weekend to kind of just learn more about the market and see what he was doing. I actually didn't pull the trigger, I would say, for another four or five months until I bought my first duplex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I bought a duplex, which um, uh, is two units, and uh, we had done a little bit of uh, renovation work and we actually refinanced and got all our money back out mm-hmm. and it's still cash flowed. Um, and so me and him partnered on that one. And then I went on to go buy a fourplex and, and, and do somewhat of the same strategy. Um, and sort of that's how it started my, my real estate journey, if not for Matt being a mentor at the time and being in the right place at the right time. Uh, I would have likely have waited a little longer before I actually jumped into real estate investing myself. I was very much um, dividend investing focused. Um, right. so, so from there, obviously, fast forward, uh, I'm going to London all the time. We have half our, our, a good amount of our client bases out of London, Ontario, um, other real estate investments and things like that come up. And we started focusing more and more into the real estate niche uh, for our business. And as a result, got exposed to a lot of different opportunities. And so we transitioned from the small multifamily units of under four units to now the buildings where they're 10 10 units plus. Um, And so that's sort of how our our journey transitioned. Uh, And I leveraged my knowledge and experience from from Dream and having worked in the other accounting firms uh, into my real estate business. Awesome. Can you talk a little bit about uh, other than maybe, you know, finding a mentor like Matt, that was that was obviously really instrumental for you to get started earlier than maybe you you would have. What would you recommend to other people who are looking to get started? Right. Because it's it could be a bit of a rabbit hole. Right. There, there's a this, lot to this learn. Stuff is, this stuff is super easy now. Back then, you didn't really have many resources like mm-hmm. there's biggerpockets.com, which is predominantly U.S. based. But there's a number of groups um, that are teaching, like on YouTube, there's a bunch of Canadians now who are teaching real estate investment content. Um, follow my Instagram page. We walk through some of the basics of real estate investing as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the thing is, yes, there's a lot of information. There's a bunch of different strategies. Uh, but this is just, I would say, it's the equivalent of you doing, uh, quitting your job to go f- uh, pursue your business. Just do it today. Just identify that, hey, you know what, like, Obviously, don't put all of your eggs into one basket. Don't go out and make your first real estate investment something where you liquidate everything you own in order to purchase it um, without having run your numbers or having a mentor or wherever involved. If you're mm-hmm. just a solo individual just trying to try it out, obviously, you run your numbers, identify why you're buying the deal, figure out the purpose. So what is your goal with, with real estate investing or with your business? Why are you pursuing it? So what do you need to do to execute on it? And then put a timeline in for yourself to execute on it. So you give, give yourself a timeline to keep accountable and know, hey, by this time period, I've got to buy this property or have this much in funds available for me to close. Or if I can't close on myself, I'm going to find a joint venture partner to come and help me to do this deal. So just remember, like, even if you don't have the resources, there's other people out there who might be willing to work with you 
um, if you're willing to do a little bit more of the work. And so you can find a joint venture partner and get the deal done. Now it's before you get the deal just done. Now it's what's your exit? What's the idea? Is it that you're going to let your cash sit there and you're going to cash flow with 20% down in, or are you going to buy the place, renovate it, get the rents up higher, refinance it, and then repeat the process, which is called the Burr method. Are you going to do that? Or are you going to do a partial Burr where you still get a little bit of it out, but you're not going to get everything out and still going to cash flow strongly? Or is it something where, you know what, you're not even focused on the cash flow. It's something where it's super hands off. It might be a little, even somewhat little negative cash flow, but there's large upside because of the market of where it's in and, and the type of property that it is. Again, you can't just arbitrarily make that decision. You have to look at comparables, uh, you know, comps of other properties that sold with similar characteristics in that same area. So it very much comes down to that analysis and you can work with real estate agents, mortgage brokers, or other real estate investors to really do that. Um, some of the great podcasts uh, to listen to, I mean, for one, hearing about other real estate investors journeys is the Andrew Hines podcast. Um, he's based out of, I believe, Burlington, Hamilton area. Um, and then obviously Matt McKeever's YouTube channel is pretty good uh, for some of the content as well. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of YouTube stuff that you can search, but I would always just recommend take action immediately. Um, and run your numbers, run your numbers and get someone else to look at your numbers as well if this is your, your first time. And if you're gonna do some sort of flip or things like that, literally get three quotes. Uh, and cheapest is not always the best. Uh, you want someone who's gonna be able to deliver on time and make sure you're hitting your timelines. So uh, again, just like any business, uh, make sure you contact a few vendors, understand pricing and timelines and as how it lines up to your goals. Got it. Yeah, that's, that's some really good advice. Taking a step back from real estate, man, I mean, there's so many, as you said, there's so much content out there, different places to go to to get information. I also find that there's so many what seems like appealing investment opportunities, right? There's real estate, there's dividend investing, there's starting a new business, right? There's all these options. How do you recommend that people approach investing in general, right? Let's say that we have solopreneurs or even employees that are doing well, they've got money saved. How do you even approach, you know, wh where to where to put all your savings or, or what to invest in? For sure. So, uh, guys, I'm not a certified financial planner. I'm not, this is not professional advice. It's just my own thoughts and opinion. Um, it really comes down to your comfort level and what you have control of. So I'll mm -hmm. tell you my perspective. I've been uh, in, like I've invested in stocks for a long time. There's obviously you know the S and P 500, and you know if you hold it long enough, you're going to be okay. But at the end of the day, if you're a solopreneur, you're looking for a sense of cash flow and ease, ease that's going to you know make you be okay. So obviously, I still put a small portion towards dividend-paying stocks, not not as much anymore, um, purely because there's things that can happen in a company. As much as I can read public company financial statements, listen to what's going on in their business. They are very much their own business in a different niche that I have limited time control over. So, um, you know, uh, put it into ones that you believe uh, are, are decent and you don't maybe have to pay attention to all the time and know it's consistent, AKA like the banks, stocks, or, you know, the, some of the Enbridge like pipelines and stuff like that. So, um, and there's ETFs that represent the same. Um, and your allocation, your portfolio comes down to what you believe you are comfortable with. So with real estate, it, like it's, I would say real estate is somewhat equivalent to being a solopreneur in that it is very much an invest, like a decision you're going to make. It's not liquid. It's not like a stock that you can just sell immediately. It's going to take some time to sell. There's a lot more higher fees and stuff associated with it. So when you are going to make the decision, make sure that you have multiple exit strategies on it and that the time and amount you're investing is worth the return you're going to get. So that's why you always have to run the numbers. Don't be like, oh, I, I believe it's going to go up, you know, 5% every year because that's what real estate should grow at. That's arbitrary. You can't eat appreciation, guys. They're, you're typically investing in real estate because you want to build some long-term wealth with the appreciation that will come in, which is great. But in the interim period, you need the thing to cash flow so that it pays for itself. So that way you can literally focus on your business. And even if your business can't pay you, there's something else working in the background to pay you. Um, in regards to having cash sitting in your bank account, you know, I definitely recommend either have cash equivalent to six months worth of your expenses or a line of credit that you can easily access for six months worth of expenses sitting there before you, you are to invest. 
obviously if you have other things like you have a child incoming and stuff like that you're gonna have to buffer more cash or if there's other circumstances that are going to occur you should save a little bit more cash but realistically you need you should just be having your money work for you so that while you're working on your business you still have wealth and cash generating in the background um, and then as it relates to real estate you don't necessarily sometimes have to invest in the direct real estate yourself um, you can do things like invest in mortgage investment corporations where they invest in like second mortgages, or you can invest in mortgages yourself uh, through working with like a mortgage broker agent um, and finding deals where you could find as a first mortgage or second mortgage in anywhere between, you know, six to 10, 12%. Um, again, all of those range, those have so much more a different variety of risk and things associated. So, Anyone listening today, it's not like you're going to go and do all of these strategies, all implemented immediately at once. That take your time and do your research. Um, we're an accounting practice focused in niche in real estate investment, so we see a lot of these things, which is why we can speak to them. But even from our perspective, we didn't immediately jump into every single strategy, right? So even within real estate investing, there's like a bunch of different strategies that people do from wholesaling deals to flipping properties to um, doing just like the birth strategy. Uh, and joint ventures, rent to owns. There's a bunch of different things you could go down the path. You just have to ultimately pick what you're comfortable with, right? So if anyone says this is the best strategy and says, no, just do this, they haven't took the time to explain it to you. So make sure you, you understand the different strategies and solutions that are available out there and pick the one that you personally are comfortable with. Because at the end of the day, you're going to have to go to sleep knowing that your money is working for you. So if you think, hey, I'm going to give all my money to Josh, and you're not really comfortable giving all your money to Josh, you're, then you're going to probably come back and say, hey, Josh, I need the money back. Mm-hmm. And for other investors and things like that, they need more time or knowledge to know that, hey, this capital is being committed to this for this time period. So like your business or like anything you're doing, make sure you determine, hey, I'm willing to risk this much and for this time period, and this is the kind of return that I want. Got it. That's great advice, Mitt. Uh, taking a step back for just one or two last questions here, a little bit more general. What would you say are the, the two or three biggest lessons that you've learned primarily stemming from entrepreneurship, the different businesses that you've started and, and have been working on? I know that's probably a broad and, and maybe difficult question, and we've, we've all learned a hell of a lot right over the last few yeah. years. But if you could narrow it down to maybe two or three of the biggest lessons or... or, or lessons that you would pass on to others who might be starting their entrepreneurial or, or solopreneurial journey? Yeah, so this is a, a big thing. Learn to say no. Um, there's going to be opportunities that come up that in the current moment seem very lucrative, but isn't your core business and it's going to take you away from it. It's going to, it can potentially slow your business down or slow where your focus is. Um, and and so from that perspective, learn to say no to those opportunities or say, hey, you know what, I'm interested or maybe not at this time or, hey, I have a referral colleague and, you know, you can get sort of referral arrangement there. Um, it it doesn't always make sense for you to pursue it just because it's going to maybe drain you and take you away from something that you really should be focusing on to move your business forward. Um, that's what is learn to say no. Um, the other one I'm sure everyone has talked about is making sure you set goals for your business and targets. Um, you know, like initial days of the business, it was just like, hey, as long as I get more revenue, things are great. Uh, It's awesome. But it also comes down to what's the time to return as well. It's about making sure you have quality billings or quality customers or you're having quality products, right? So make sure you identify what are the core values of the business uh, and what are the targets that you want to hit every year and then do a annual review or quarterly review of how you're tracking towards the progress of those goals. Identify the key performance uh, indicators for your specific business and see what you need to tweak in order to maybe increase uh, or allow you to be successful in your business. Um, And sometimes it comes down to, you know what, maybe you don't have the skills to be really good at it. Maybe you aren't the best at it. And so, you know what, you just need to hire someone who can help you to do that, especially as it relates to like marketing. I'm not a marketing wizard. I'm not a really huge social media fan either. But I'm sure you've seen recently, Josh, I've been making a push towards, you know, increasing my social media presence and uh, informing the public. And that's something where, you know what, get used to putting being uncomfortable as you as you feel uncomfortable, you know, you are developing um, as a person and you're going to help your business grow more successfully. So um, Mm -hmm. a combination of both setting goals and then doing things outside your comfort zone will lead you 
to your success. Um, and at the same time, identifying things that aren't working for your business. Uh, don't throw good money after bad at something that isn't making sense or isn't drawing you leads. If it is bringing you leads and you're not seeing your conversion in your pipeline and things like that work, go in and figure out whether it's actually you're doing a bad job on the conversion or whether the leads were, weren't the ideal ones for you from the get-go. So make sure to you know do a constant review of your business. I think some solopreneurs, including ourselves, get uh, comfortable that, hey, business is going well, it's okay, I'm doing everything uh, right. Yeah, trust me, you're not. There's someone out there who's outworking you, doing something different, identifying a way to increase uh, their bottom line. So make sure you review your business and, and do that as well. For sure. That's that's all really great stuff. Matt, this has been great hearing the story, hearing the takeaways, hearing the lessons. If people want to follow you, find out more about your businesses, you know, get real estate advice, any of that stuff, where do they recommend that they look you up? Yeah, so the best way to connect with me is probably on Instagram at MitCPA. Um, there I'll post different content as it relates to real estate investing, as it relates to your business. I'll typically go live sometimes and do a Q&A, answering people's different questions. Um, my business partner and I are actually going to be releasing sort of a podcast where we review these types of questions together. Um, nice. Just because we're finding a lot of business owners coming up with the same questions, a lot of uh, podcasts and stuff out there about, hey, this is what should I do for my business? How did you grow your business? That's great. But it doesn't always sometimes identify, hey, so what were some of the accounting and finance or business challenges that uh, you went through? And let's dive into them specifically um, so you can get uh, answers. So, you know, that's the best way to get in contact. Otherwise, if you're looking for accounting services, um, you can, I, I guess, click the link uh, in the description below and go to galleoncpa.ca. Uh, and Josh, uh, you can also plug for the, uh, if you're looking for mortgage financing for your real estate investments, you're feeling yourself at a roadblock, also happy to help. And there'll be a link below for, for you to follow as well. Awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll link to the Instagram, everything in the description, no matter where you're watching or listening. Mitt, thanks again for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. No, thanks again for having me. I feel like we could probably go for another hour, but uh, right. until next time. <laughs> until next time. Thanks, Mitt. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you want to join the Solopreneur Grind community, we recently started a Slack group for other like-minded solopreneurs who are starting or thinking about starting or are already well on their way to working on their own businesses. That doesn't matter the size. Make sure to check us out at solopreneurgrind.com slash join if you want to join this group. We're constantly sharing ideas, bouncing ideas off of one another, helping each other out in all areas of business and life and all that sort of stuff. Make sure to check it out, solopreneurgrind.com slash join, solopreneurgrind.com slash join. Take care and thanks very much for listening.